0: Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the podcast version of my radio show, Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks them all the hard questions. We originally air as a radio show on Radio Free Brooklyn, so if you like the show, you can listen to episodes the day they come out every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. You're about to hear the episode where I interview Jim Henson, played by writer and comedian Matt Shafiq, and Pablo Picasso, played by comedian George Fernandez. The Jim Henson interview is actually the very first famous dead people interview I ever did but because there were some technical problems with the second half. I had to wait until now to release it with the newer interview, the one I did with uh, Pablo Picasso. If you like the show and you want to shoot us an email about whatever you like, hit us up at FamousDeadPeopleShow at gmail.com. We love hearing from fans. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, rate us five stars on iTunes, all that garbage. It helps us out a ton. Tell your friends, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, You should also check out a show that I'm doing on May 13th at 9.30 p.m. at the Pit Loft called Live Clickbait. You can find out more information about that on my website, jaredberenstein.com. That's Live Clickbait on May 13th at 9.30 p.m. at the Pit Loft. But for now, enjoy Pablo Picasso and Jim Henson only on Famous Dead People. Famous dead people. It's time. Famous dead people. Time to start the show. Famous Dead People. Famous Dead People. Famous dead people. Famous dead people. people. Oh, you know Famous Dead people. Famous Dead, people. Famous the dead people. Stuck in famous You're, from all these people are dead. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and this is Famous Dead People, the only show that resurrects famous people from the grave and asks all the hard questions. I'm your host, Jared Bernstein. Coming up later on Famous Dead People, we'll be talking to the father of our country, the first president. ...of the United States, George Washington. But first, we have famed American writer, director, and puppeteer. He achieved international celebrity status as the creator of the Muppets. He died on May 16th of 1990. National treasure Jim Henson is here. Jim, thank you so much for being with us here today. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back. Mm -hmm. It's good to have you, sir. You're a national treasure. So, Jim, you started off your life in Mm -hmm. uh, Greensville, Mississippi. When you were growing up there... Did you ever think that you'd become as successful as you eventually did? And you know, what it was it like to grow up there?
1: Uh, well, you know, it uh, it was a different time, obviously. Mm. Uh, but uh, I always sort of had a sense that uh, maybe fame not necessarily would come my way, but that uh, puppeteering would be part of my life. Right? Really? Yeah, I used to just in the bathtub, my fingers and I would have conversations and... It just seemed uh natural to me to want to speak through other parts of my body, to displace my voice. It uh I can't explain it. My parents discouraged it, but uh mm, I of course. I um I I could not be dissuaded from mm-hmm. the from this sort of method. Mm-hmm. Understandably. And what sort of conversations would you have, like you know, as you were as you were doing these little scenes with yourself? You know, at first uh there were just conversations about basic things. I'd I'd have lots of questions as any young child would. Uh I had questions about you know, why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? And uh inevitably the part of my hand or foot that I had raised would have an answer. And mm-hmm. it just seemed like I was I was learning so much for myself and of course lots of answers I gave were 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 silly, uh mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. actually have the answers, but it... The fact that I was listening so intently to myself, it just, it, it resonated with me. And, and that stuck with me through my childhood and adulthood.
0: Mm-hmm. And at some point, like, so you are, you're using your, your fingers to do puppeteering. Like, at one point
1: did you make the transition from actually using other
0: objects as the puppets?
1: Uh, I remember it well, actually. It was, uh, in my childhood, I was wearing a, 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 a oversized, a men's shirt as a as a joke. It was my father's. Sounds uh, hilarious. It sounds yes. really funny. Uh, just you know, as you do, mm-hmm. <laughs> childish nice. things. Uh, the sleeves were too long, of course. They're my father's shirt, and when the sleeves covered my fingers, I made the long sleeves into a sort of uh, a, a foolish man. I called it The <laughs> foolish man on my hand, and uh, foolish man began flapping about, and and suddenly I was having a conversation, and and unlike my fingers and toes before where they would just have my own voice foolish hand <laughs> had a voice and it was it was dapper it was proper it was hey you are a sinner he was a a, a, a very angry person similar to my dad not so strangely mm-hmm. and uh then became that next phase of my life that uh characters could come uh by 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 masking my hand in different ways. Mm, interesting. So, I'm sorry, you just want to clarify, was it Foolish Man or Foolish Hand that this character was oh, called? Oh, no, Foolish Man. It was a man, man on my hand. Yes. Okay,
0: all right. Now, I, do you see any connection between that character and some of the other characters that you created later in your life? Like, I'm thinking maybe of um, the eagle from uh, The Muppet Show, you know,
1: Sam the Eagle, the... Yes. Uh, now that you mention it, I think that was the origin of a character. Like it never Sandy. never occurred to you before. Well, this? No, no, you know, I I hadn't put two and two together. But now that you mention it, you know, I mean, a lot of my a lot of my characters uh, are sort of blowhards. You know, those, those two old men that stand on the back of the theater. You don't remember the name of the of your character? <laughs> it's been a while. I have been dead for over twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you think of Statler and Waldorf. Yes, Statler yeah. and Waldorf. Of course, mm-hmm. how could I forget? (laughs) They were named after my first two lawyers. Um, Really? Yes, yes. Mm. Can't uh, wait to find out if that's actually true. uh, So, uh, yes, blowhards were popular characters in my childhood because it's how how I saw most adults. I just couldn't understand why they were all so serious when life was meant to be enjoyed and and childlike and carefree, and who wouldn't want to hold on to that essence Mm. for as long as possible?
0: Understandable, understandable. Now, I
1: mean, were there other things from growing up
0: in... Greensville, Mississippi, that would eventually become characters, our beloved Kermits, our beloved Fraggle Rock people, things like that. You know, uh
1: there was a darker period of my life when before I, I knew better where there was a racial element to some of my characters. Oh, and interesting. And I, 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 was, I quickly learned it was not a popular choice, and uh, I, I stayed away from, from that element. And when I started incorporating uh, uh, colors into my puppets, they were obviously more along the non-human spectrum. Mm-hmm. Your blues, your yellows, your purples. Uh, so that was, uh, growing up in the South, you almost can't help but... Uh, mm-hmm. Be affected by the uh, racial relations, and mm-hmm. I quickly learned that was that was probably the one area puppeteering was not going to advance uh, the conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's tough to do. Okay, so wait, so you were so making like sort of racial jokes that were uh, a product of the way that you were raised in the south. Uh, let me be clear: I wasn't making fun of other races. <laughs> I would I would try to uh, embody other races to try to have. One or two conversations happening at once, inevitably, in my crude younger days, uh, I would I would, I would err on the side of caricature, uh, of course, and, mm-hmm. and and that quickly uh, got me in a lot of trouble. Uh, mm-hmm. it, back... it got you into trouble in the South? Or I would think they would be all for that, especially at that time. Uh, the, I had my fans. Uh, <laughs> there, were, there, were, there were people who, who enjoyed uh, caricature natures, but once I... Once I was doing it in class, uh, 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 the more uh, enlightened, let's say, of the uh, teachers I had and uh, uh, relatives that uh, believed in racial equality and uh, other things, I I think I learned that this was perhaps not the way to go. Hmm. I'm glad that you learned that lesson. I feel like it's an important step for people in this society. To imagine if I... If I grew up not learning that lesson, how different. Mm-hmm. How different like the Muppets could have Sesame been? Street, oh, yeah. Cameron with the Frog could have had a really terrible Asian mm-hmm. accent. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, to think. Uh, thank God. Yes, thank God. Yes, a different world. We, really, we
0: really dodged a bullet there. Uh, now, as I was doing a little bit of research into your background, um, I learned that when you first were puppeteering, you were performing for... More of an adult audience, like your show, The Sam- Salmon Friends, and your recurring appearances on late-night talk shows, like Ed Sullivan, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite bit from that era when your work was a little bit more edgy and a little bit more adult?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, yes, uh, I do, actually. It, uh, it was a, uh, a man... A a very stuffy man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, I mean, that that falls
0: in line with the material that you've created in the past. You seem like that's yeah, you know, something that you've worked with before.
1: So this this puppet that I had, he 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 he, he was he was balding. I'm very very big fan of men losing hair. I, I found it a very funny type of puppet I mean, to make. It's, it's hilarious. It's a great joke. Yeah, uh, he he would sit on my arm and and we'd have conversations and and he would. Uh, vote to, he, he was saying that he wanted the government overthrown. That was his big thing. He wanted the government. The government is, is a fallacy, he would say. Mm-hmm. And and, and he, he would occasionally fought. The flatulence was a big part of it. You got mm-hmm. a, a combination of the highbrow and the lowbrow. Mm. Um, but uh, overthrow the proletariat, he, he had – it was his – his big catchphrase, Uh, went over very well, followed by, of Mm -hmm. course, a a loud fart. Mm -hmm. And this did did well on, like, Ed Sullivan and things like that. Yes. uh, In fact, it was revolutionary at the time. Flatulence, you have to remember, in that that era, uh, highly, highly... uh, Yeah, we're uh, talking
0: about the mid to late 60s now.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, Think about how many farts you heard on television in that era. If you were alive then, I don't believe you were. Mm -hmm. Uh, But anyone who does think back that far, uh, highly controversial, Mm -hmm. uh, titillating, uh, the very definition of it, uh, of course, and also overthrowing the government. Uh, this mm-hmm. was uh, a, a, t- a tense time in our country for uh, the state of affairs. So mm-hmm. uh, yes, it went over
0: quite well. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so, but I mean, like that—that that part of the joke, like the throwing overthrowing the government. Like, did you use that to give this character a foundation by which the farts would sort of like reverse that expectation, or was that also part of the joke? Was that supposed to be hilarious? Too? Uh,
1: now that you mention it, uh, it really was just two disparate factors in my head, but. Had I given it more thought, it could have been a real uh, 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 message, I think, Mm -hmm. how how these sort of blowhards are just filled with hot air that can't help but escape from the the buttocks. Mm But, uh, no, really, I was just sort of throwing things together. It was my early times. I, I mm-hmm. didn't really have it all nailed down then. I understand. You know, like, you
0: were young at the time. You're young in your creative life. And, you know, you're just uh, experimenting with what ideas the public is going to resonate with. Precisely. Okay. Now, did it ever bother you? Like, so, for example, like, your puppets are on the Ed Sullivan show, mm. you know, and, uh, and uh, Rolf the dog is on the Jimmy Dean show. You know, nobody knows who you are. They know your creations, mm. but they don't see your face, and you don't get recognized on the street. Like, was there any kind of jealousy? between you
1: and the puppets? Like, we, they're the ones that actually have the fame that you want. I'm, I'm glad you asked that question. You know, before uh, Henson became a, a household name, I would um, always try to have my puppets say my name casually in in their really? speeches. Yeah, I'd, I'd insert, you know, oh, it's a real Henson of an act. It's a real Henson of a day. That's so,
0: I mean, it's weird that you would say that because I watched a little bit of the raw footage and mm-hmm. I don't remember that. Like, is it... You know, it was
1: always, always throw it out the air Like, really quickly? I, I'll say this much. Uh, I was quickly reprimanded and asked not to do it because it was it was not it didn't make any sense to anyone who didn't know my name what is this word are you trying to create a new slang word (laughs) um so they uh uh uh, most archival footage i imagine wouldn't have it because it was never in any of my uh more refined acts or the acts where the the upper the higher ups had their say they Mm -hmm. were very carefully watching me and discourage me from doing it, but I would uh, occasionally have an accident where my head would pop above the frame okay, ever so slightly. There, there I were, did notice that a few times. There I saw were, a little bit of that in the archives. Always an accident. You'll mm. notice I'm putting my fingers in quotes right now. Uh... <laughs> But uh, I knew what I was doing. As a professional, I did not ever uh, need to show myself. But it was a little way to remind the audience that there is a man down there, and that man mm-hmm. is the creative uh, person behind all of this.
0: Hmm. Oh, interesting. Uh, so so you, this is something that you attempted multiple times.
1: You know. Were you ever reprimanded for showing your face on screen? <laughs> uh you know uh uh the head uh most times they would let fly, they would assume just sort of i, I was I was not as professional as I could have been mm-hmm. uh, a couple of times i I would uh grab my hand up uh uh the, the, the uh, get my full elbows up there mm-hmm. uh uh reprimands were common in those early days, but also it was the early era of television lots of other things were were happening and on the grand the grand scheme of uh uh flagrancies on television, minds were relatively. Minor. let's say one like one out of every hundred appearances that you have on
0: television How many of those appearances are you trying to get your face on screen let's say one out of a hundred
1: one out of a hundred, uh, 65. 65
0: times? Mm-hmm. Like, you would just you just pop
1: up your head just so that people would see what you look like? Yes, or or I drop the character's voice and just do my voice. Okay. Uh, there are lots of subtle ways to, uh, just briefly distract the audience from, from the character and narrative, which, as an artist, is is a general no-no, but, uh, I am a bit <laughs> of a narcissist, and I just had to, you know, it's no coincidence, Jim Henson, my name got attached to everything I did from now mm-hmm Mm on Henson Productions. Yes, that's right. Uh, You know, uh, I I had a puppet briefly named uh, just Jim Henson, and it was a a puppet of me, and Mm -hmm. he never quite caught on. Can you Um, talk a little bit more about Jim Henson? uh, Oh, yes. Like what he looked like and things like that? I would love to. Uh, He was a very, (laughs) very close approximation of me. You know, I'm very tall. Mm -hmm. I'm a a, a, tall—he was a tall puppet. Uh, and he uh, had strong a strong upper body. Okay. Uh, the long hair that I, I, I'm known for, mm-hmm. and um, he he himself had a smaller puppet on him. Uh, it was a very very hard act. This is probably why Jim Henson the puppet never caught on because I would try to do a puppet of Jim Henson or have one of my uh, lower uh, level uh, puppeteers do one. Have Jim Henson the puppet also himself doing a puppet. Uh, And it it got to this sort of meta level of a puppeteer doing a puppet, doing a puppet. Mm -hmm. Uh, It didn't quite catch on as much as I would have liked it to. So... Uh, Jim Henson the puppet remained in my my private quarters Mm -hmm. I understand I mean that seems
0: like logistically difficult just to have you know a puppet that also has an operational puppet Um, were there things that Jim Henson the puppet would say or do that were you were trying to make like his catchphrases like his things that people would know about
1: Uh, well yes uh, I was known for uh, getting angry with a lot of my other uh, puppeteers at the time I I was a very serious worker I took my art very seriously despite the content and uh, so I embraced that part of myself and so Jim Henson Henson, the puppet, uh, was constantly yelling at other people, telling hmm. them uh, be professional, uh, take this more seriously. Uh, and uh, uh, again, character did not go over very well. But I'm I'm proud of the work I put into him, and I I, I like that I was able to laugh at myself.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you, I mean did you personally think that was funny? Like to yell at your
1: employees? Like I mean, through the puppet, of course. Mm, yes. you thought so, that'd be a funny bit. Let me be clear, Jim Henson, myself, when he was under the table yelling at his underlings. Uh, was very deadly serious when he would tell them to take this more seriously and to do the work that they've been asked to do and to not take any liberties with Miss Piggy or or anyone else. But uh, Jim Henson, the puppet, of course, being a caricature of myself, uh, you know, he, he, he is meant to be laughed at. He is, of course, taking the job very seriously. And mm-hmm. I, I, I understand you're going to say, isn't there a disconnect there? Do you not see how this is showing that you yourself were too serious? And no. Puppets and people behind the puppets are two different people, and the way they speak and what they say take on very different meanings, regardless
0: of the context. I understand. You're getting a little agitated here. I don't think that we need to have that kind of energy. Okay,
1: yes, no, sorry, sorry, sorry.
0: Now, I I, I did a little bit of research Mm. uh, into some of your work pre Muppets, and I didn't realize this, but you were uh, nominated for an Academy Award in 1966 for a live action film called Timepiece, mm. and that's you know obviously a bit of a deep cut for you know other fans of jim henson out there like you tell us a little bit about that sh- that nine minute film that you made like yeah. what the story of that well, that, that uh, uh,
1: movie is yes of course i went into i had a phase very briefly uh where i was obsessed with clocks and uh i couldn't find a way to work it into any of my acts so i said uh, okay you know what uh fuck it let's uh Let's go with a uh, a short film and uh the film was a room filled with different t- uh types of clocks, a uh, grandfather clock, uh, a little pocket watch and uh, of course the these 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 uh these clocks were were non-living but uh we added voices to them. So the clocks would all be sitting in the room ticking and talking and dinging and donging and uh we'd have uh, uh our actors just Hanging out kind of behind them or underneath them somewhere else, they weren't puppets, but uh, we gave them all voices. Mm-hmm. They had a conversation. Can I, I just pause you for just one second? Mm. All right, because I'm noticing like this is a live
0: action movie that you've made, mm-hmm. and yet at the same time, you have tried to make it as puppet like as humanly possible. <laughs> is that fair assessment? Would you, say? Uh, you
1: know, uh, I in a certain way, I can't escape the essential trapping I have when I, I just Think that human watching a human speak is one of the most boring things uh, an really? artist can try to accomplish. Yes, I just it's it, we we just every day we're talking about the coffee and weather and and politics and this and that and, and a clock. What does a clock have to say, right? <laughs> what does what does a frog have to say? I just I think there's an endless depth to this conversation that we will never be able to truly answer, but we mm-hmm. can try. So, yes, uh, you, uh, uh, Jack Hughes, uh, mm-hmm. I have been <laughs> accused of, of following this one act of, of speaking through other mm-hmm. things, and, yes, that's what I did in my timepiece short film. Mm-hmm. And the clocks, boy, do they have a fascinating conversation, and wouldn't you know it, it wasn't about time at all. Mm-hmm. Oh, you no, know? no, I can understand that. I mean, do you do you have some
0: sort of like a, uh, I don't know, what would you say it, uh, an, an admonition for... You
1: know, movies that have people talking instead of characters. And you say admonition, I say mm-hmm. hatred. Oh, I, I, okay. I I despise uh, most the film I lost to. I believe was just human actors blabbing on about I don't know, pregnancy or something. I <laughs> I just don't. I I just I find it droll. It, it 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 angers me. This is how far we've come. What year is this now? Twenty sixteen. And mm-hmm. and I look at the trades, and this is still what most. Films and movies and television is about. I, we have we, we've regressed, if anything. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm getting angry again. No, no. I can I hear it in my you. voice.
0: It's something that you're very passionate about. Yes, thank you. And uh, I don't want to stoke those fires, but my next question is actually about your time on the first season of Saturday Night Live. Uh, this is another thing that people, probably a lot of mm. Jim Henson fans, aren't aware of. That mm. 1975, you had a segment mm. on the very first season of Saturday Night Live, where once a week you would do. Thing with puppets where they would make vulgar jokes with a lot of sexual innuendo called the Land of Gorch, and uh, this is of course while you were still at Sesame Street. So, like, what was the inspiration for that segment?
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, they came to me uh, with the premise of Saturday Night Live: oh, a bunch of not ready for prime time players, right? Mm-hmm. That's what they called Ca- it. Yeah. Catchy, catchy uh, phrase. Uh, you know who's even less ready for prime time? Gorch. Ooh, okay. And uh uh and his fellow puppets. Now again, I, I hate to harp on this matter, but uh you cannot get any less prepared for primetime television than a, uh, a a a non-human uh, a puppet of some kind, a, a humanoid puppet or a talking orange, let's say, or a uh an oven. Uh, I had an a, oven there was an oven character I have who was always so hot and uh, he was just begging everyone in the room to lower the temperature mm-hmm. now um, they let me go after the first year yes and, and yes that's I saw that that's, that's fine I, I, I understand uh, uh, they valued my puppets for their educational purposes more than for their, uh, I guess, dark humor. Mm-hmm. Like perhaps I didn't go dark enough. Perhaps well, I didn't get into how the oven was allowing others to die inside of him okay. uh, in his off time and how perhaps he liked uh, having others die inside of him. You know, I didn't, I didn't pursue that route as hard as I could. Uh, Lauren Michaels uh, was not a fan of that particular bit uh but yes i don't regret it i i think there's still a future for a not ready for prime time puppets but we'll see what the future holds no mm-hmm. well, man one of the things that i read about the segment was that it was
0: universally hated by everybody else on the cast mm. and people really dreaded writing for it they dreaded being a part of it mm. like would, would did maybe this stoke some of that hatred that you have for live action theater television and film
1: Well, you know, uh, uh, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. Oh, Bill Murray was the second season. I don't know if— Oh, uh, well, we talked after the fact, and he was there in the audience watching and heckling. Mm. Uh, Believe me. Uh, I knew all of them, and I, I did not forget any of them. You Whoa. would not have seen Bill Murray in any of my late era Muppets films. No, no, I know he's not in Dark Crystal. No, he, he begged to be in Dark Crystal. Really? No, no yes, of course. Be, this was Bill Murray was always was already taking a uh, a turn for, for the dramatic at that era, and mm-hmm. as my uh, as you have read, my puppets, my my Muppet movies have taken. Had taken a uh, darker turn in the in the in the eighties, mm-hmm, uh, but no, I would not let them. Those comedians, uh, they were they were stuck uh, in their in their silly films, their Caddyshacks and and whatever else, their Ghostbusters. Uh, sorry, I've gone I on a tangent. Uh, your your question was about uh, uh, oh the hatred I had for mm-hmm. them. Yes, no, they they. They, they did not like my puppetry, and I dare say they were jealous of the kinds of things I mm. was capable of. Um, I mean,
0: there were definitely uh, slapsticky elements that you could accomplish with a puppet yeah. that are just not physically yes, possible with a human. thank you.
1: You could crush a puppet with a falling anvil. Uh, was Gilda Radner ever hit in the face with a, a thousand-ton bowling ball? I no, I don't think so. No, I think not. Uh, she would be killed instantly, and mm. and someone would be charged with murder. Uh, and I pointed this out many times at the staff writers' meetings and uh, didn't seem to win anyone over, but, uh, mm-hmm. y- you, know, you know, c'est la vie.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, um, uh, at you know, so let's move on to Sesame Street, you know. Mm. Uh, 1969, you went to work for Sesame Street. You had so much work before that for adults with late-night talk shows, and, of course, later on you did Saturday Night Live, but, you know, you definitely have this uh, ability in you, this desire to speak to adults. Was it hard to make the transition to doing material for children,
1: Uh oh, yes. Well, like i said before, kids. I I think life is meant to be lived through the lens of children. It's what I learned at a very young age, and I, I tried to always hold on to that uh, that childish whimsy that I love so much. And and quite frankly, children when they saw a puppet, their eyes light up. They are happy, and and that's what you want. That's what everyone wants. So so while children tend to be. Uh, 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 little rabble-rousers that run around and can't listen to a single command when you're trying to wrangle them in front of the cameras... Once things are rolling and mm. once you can convince them that the puppets are real, uh, they are exactly the audience I want. They're exactly the people I want to have a conversation with through Kermit, through Miss Piggy, mm-hmm. through Fozzie Bear. Uh, so I don't
0: yes. want to interrupt, but it did seem like you had a little bit of, um, mm. I don't want to say rage or hatred for the children that you had to work with. But it really seems like there was a level of frustration uh, there when you were describing to, it.
1: You know, it's a double-edged sword. It, it really mm-hmm. is because they are, they are the perfect uh, uh, minds to have in the room with you. Their whimsy is what you need. They're, they're, they're free. The they really are free. element, yes. But also, they're little pieces of shit. They are so unprofessional. Oh, my. Uh, yes, I, I, I'm sorry. Y- y- you know, again, love children. They're, they're <laughs> the greatest. I made the show, Chester Street, was for the children. But uh, have you ever tried putting on a show where you, you have to have just kids sitting still for half a minute so that uh, Ernie and Bert can give them a lesson about the ABCs it's like hey kids we have a fucking lesson for you sit down and hear the lesson I- it would be take 45 before the-, the-, the Ernie and Bert can get a word out edgewise
0: mm-hmm. I mean this, this was this this was a regular problem that you had was rankling these children I would think that this would be you know something that was rote for the amount of time that you spent on Sesame Street
1: you know in the early days, it was very difficult, but uh, we quickly learned there was a very easy way to get them to quiet up.
0: Uh, this sounds um, a little ominous. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I hesitate to ask, but like, would you mind, uh, of course, expanding no. on that, please, have, Jim Henson? I'm f- How was it that you? Calm down the children and got them to do what you wanted on Sesame Street.
1: Very easy. Of course, they walk in the room, they see Big Bird. Oh, Big Bird, we love Big Bird. Mm-hmm. Big Bird, Big Bird, Big Bird. Can I
0: can I guess what happens next? Mm. Uh Big Bird says, "Children, you know, what we'd really like for you to do is to be quiet and to do what Mr. Henson says, and Mm -hmm. then we'll all be able to get ice cream afterwards. Uh,
1: That was a terrible guess. Uh, Oh, okay. uh, No. Uh, Perhaps the first try would be that. We give them one chance to Hmm. uh, not shatter their minds. And then uh, if they continue talking, the next step would be, uh, uh, Big Bird would grab one of the other puppets and start uh, uh, choking him in a way that would make it seem like he was really taking the life from him. And you would have Big Bird choking one of the other characters, yeah, in Oscar the Grouch, Street. let's say. He, mm-hmm. He'd grab Oscar and grab I mean, him that by ex- his little. Explains the Grouch, yes, obviously. Yes, has origin stories, if you prefer. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then the puppeteer holding Oscar would slowly remove himself from the puppet. So the puppet would, of course, the life would drain from his eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would go limp, mm-hmm. as any creature The arm would. is the life of the puppet. Of course. Yeah. And without an arm, the puppet is just a, a body. And so uh, Oscar would go limp, his eyes would fade, and uh, the children would believe that Big Bird had just murdered Oscar the Grouch. Oh, my God. That was phase one. Oh, uh, there, that were, was, there were more steps than that. If the children at that point still just weren't quieting down, hadn't just uh, uh, given themselves in to our instruction, uh, the next phase, of course, would be Big Bird would remove his head. Well, and, wow. And now he's just a person in a giant costume. The kid's would not know what was going on there. Their childish dreams were shattered. They could no longer, they now knew. That sounds, that sounds traumatic. I'm sure a lot of the oh, children probably need therapy much. after that. Generally what would happen is this was a more drastic measure and we lose about 70% of the kids would no longer be, be up for being in Sesame Street because <laughs> the entire uh, wall had come crashing down on them. Oh, interesting! But the ones that stayed, they would be compliant, and you'd be
0: able to film with them.
1: In theory, they'd basically be—they'd uh, be docile, uh, okay. g- you know—so sort of uh, confused that uh, they would just whatever we had to say to them, they would just absorb mm-hmm. a- at that point. Uh, if I were—if p- I were to
0: show you an old episode of Sesame Street, mm-hmm. and like there'd be like a shot of a child, like would you be able to say like, "Oh, that's one of the children that we, oh yes, that we scared," you know? Yes, like, can I've, you see
1: something in their eyes or something? Yes, I—I like? I learned the faces. Uh, I learned what their eyes look like when uh, all... All, when they've had to grow up suddenly in the span mm-hmm. of the hour they spent on my set, uh, I know that face and I know it well.
0: Oh, this has been very illuminating, uh, Jim Henson. Um, now, lastly, I understand I that didn't
1: get to phase three, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm, I'm so it sorry. It was uh, so phase sorry. three there was a where phase Cookie Monster would choke on a cookie and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the final, most traumatic phase, mm-hmm. and... I hope um, you
0: don't mind me saying it seems kind of like a denouement uh-huh. from what's mm. happened already. It seems like everything else was worse than that. Well, uh,
1: that, it was really... <laughs> Really hard to top uh, mm-hmm. the choking of Oscar the Grouch, um, and, then,
0: and then Big Bird taking off his hat and revealing that there's a man inside.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cookie Monster was more just was it you 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 still want more? You want more? It was more more a uh, a uh, uh, fuck you than a uh, actual heightening, mm-hmm. if you will. All right, that is mind too you, handsome. I never cursed in front of the kids. Oh, that no, was a big no no. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, sorry, you were saying. Uh, I was saying that I like to wrap
0: this up, this interview. Um, I understand that towards the end of your life, you were hard at work on the sitcom Dinosaurs, leading up to your eventual death. Like, how do you feel about the way that that show developed and eventually ended before you uh, before you passed away? Uh,
1: you know, I, I I didn't get to see the finale before I passed away, but I hear uh, that it ended with the uh, the ice age starting and all the dinosaurs essentially being doomed to die. Uh, which was my original vision. That was my original note I had passed along. When I was uh, in the early stages of planning this show, I said, no matter what happens, the second you get the word that the show is going to be canceled turn it dark. Make it as dark as possible. Uh, start killing off the dinosaurs slowly. I, I understand they didn't have time to do this, mm-hmm. so they just ended it with a newscast about how the future looked grim for the dinosaur family. All right. Well, thank you uh,
0: so much for being with us here today, Jim Henson. Uh, we're going to take a short break. Oh, but when we come back, Dippy. we'll be talking. Oh, famous, Dippy. Oh, famous Dippy. Hey, everybody, just want to take a quick break to remind you to subscribe to Famous Dead People on iTunes or on whatever app it is that you're using to listen to this show. Uh, If you're so inclined, rate us five stars, leave a comment. You could tell us how much you love us or hate us. I love constructive criticism. Uh, that stuff helps us out a ton. Tell your friends about us. Get your friends to listen to Famous Dead People. I would really appreciate that. And uh, hit us up at famous dead people show at gmail.com if you want to shout some criticism into my electronic face or if you want to hear a specific Famous Dead person on this show. I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear that you're listening. I want some feedback. Damn it. Uh, so yeah, lastly, if you really like the show and you want to send us some money to help keep us on the air, go to RadioFreeBrooklyn.com slash Famous Dead People and click on the support this show button. Thanks again for listening. And now back to the podcast. My next guest on Famous Dead People is Spanish painter, sculptor, poet and playwright Pablo Picasso. Mr Picasso, thank you so much for being with us here in the studio today. Oh yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh this is actually um uh, an important interview for me. Um you I have I have one of your works of art. My family has one of your one of your prints, you know. I know it's not um, you know, the most uh, prestigious or expensive thing in the world to have a Picasso print, but I always thought it was really cool that we had something that was, you know, a work of your art.
2: You know, I'll be honest with you. I appreciate like hearing from a fan, but mm-hmm. I never signed off on on you my work. You didn't get a duplicate Really, you didn't no. sign off on
0: any of your prints.
2: No, I'm gonna tell you the shit that it really upsets me a little bit. No one, i that. I'm sorry people about are that. making money off of my off of my awesome paintings. You know. It's just, yeah,
0: no, I I apologize for that. Um, I assumed that a, a print was something that you know, an artist did, if they wanted to, to mass produce something, even a small amount, like, like I thought, like, yeah. um, uh, and, and I don't know that much about the one that we have, um, but I assume that there were, like, only, I don't know, like, a thousand made or something like that, and that you had done them specifically so that more people could have <laughs> access to you, right? But that's not the case.
2: No, that's, no, actually, like, I would do the same painting over and over and over,
0: <laughs> oh, like you would actually paint it over and over again?
2: Of course. Oh, I had no idea. I had a lot of <laughs> dude. I had a lot of fans in my in my mailing list. <laughs> no, for real though, I had a lot of mm-hmm. fans on my mailing list, and this is just yeah. You know, like look, I appreciate that you're a fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I just don't like hearing. I could have been a lot more richer
0: yeah yeah i understand it was it was never enough for you the fame the fortune that you had you always thought you wanted more right is that is that uh of course you is that you, a right you, assumption it's
2: like this insatiable appetite you know mm, you yeah. want, i wanted to be like the biggest thing like ever
0: that you, you feel like that's an instinct that you had like you just wanted to keep on achieving more, and you gotta, more you gotta
2: have the hunger in your belly or else forget it why even bother going out in the field yeah just sit on the bench yeah
0: yeah interesting um did you uh because i know that you know you were sort of associated with this kind of bohemian lifestyle out in out in paris in france you know um uh did that did that uh, uh ambition that you had ever like not not vibe well with your other fellow bohemians you know yeah
2: totally like people don't like it when you stay up in the bag trying to get ahead but mm-hmm. you know uh, like i was a pretty friendly guy to everybody but sometimes you get these opportunities where it's like you know, hey, um, we can sell more of your paintings if you, you know, if you spread a rumor about some, you know, Joe the painter. Oh,
0: like, so you would, you would like uh, <laughs> uh, spread rumors about your fellow artists in order to <laughs> to climb the ladder? Really?
2: Of course, yeah. Oh my to. god!
0: So you destroyed careers, it just in the in the in the name of your own success?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, you feel. Like you feel bad about it, and that, like mm-hmm. you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, you kind of feel bad about it. But like, you got that hunger, man. You mm-hmm. you want to be the best. And, Interesting. And if Joe thinks his painting of like, uh, he had a painting called uh, Lisa's Belly, and mm-hmm. it was just a, a painting of like some girl's belly, and and it was getting a lot of play, and know I, I just kind of have it. So it's a bit of rumor that he kills cats. And
0: whoa, really?
2: Oh uh, yeah, people love cats too. Yeah, like, that's so many true. cat fans.
0: Did you so do you remember that painter's last name that you that you whose career you ruined with this cat <laughs> cat killing uh a rumor? You said it, his name was Joe, is that yeah. right?
2: Yeah. I don't know, you kind of say it pretty aggressively when you say, Oh, I don't want to I don't like, want to yeah, seem like you know, I'm
0: judging. I'm just uh I'm trying to I'm trying to adequately um describe what, you know, what what you've just the information you've just given to me.
2: Yeah, it was Joe Wartenberg.
0: Joe Wartenberg. Um, I don't know I don't know if anything ever came of him but I mean it sounds like you did you did away with him just with this rumor that you spread
2: yeah like nothing he, he just couldn't recover <laughs> he just couldn't recover I mean it's a big deal a lot in that area a lot of people had a lot of cats like mm-hmm. like nowadays people will think you're crazy if you have 50 cats oh the, the cat lady she's got 50 cats like that was normal. That was, like, mm, yeah. people always had, like, so
0: many animals. So you're talking about, like, when you were living in, in Paris and in yeah. other parts of France in, like, the early 1900s, people just had cats. <laughs>
2: Dude, <laughs> I mean, you make it seem like it's crazy, but it well, wasn't Well, I mean, by then. today's standard, yeah, yeah, maybe.
0: But I just want to, I want to understand the historical context behind, you know, your life back then.
2: Yeah, no, it was cool. It was cool, like, everyone, like, Everyone's cool with each other, you know, mm-hmm. and everyone, like, support each other. I used to go to, like, different galleries for people, but, like, once they started getting, like, a name, I just had to put them
0: down. Yeah, I got it. You yeah. you, you, you got to protect your spot on the throat.
2: Yeah, you got it, and it's, a, it's tough business. People are always, like, trying to one-up you. Mm, like, yeah. I, I had a, um, a painting. I, I, I tried to put it out. It, it didn't really come out. I wasn't really happy with the end result. Mm-hmm. And it was called like Patty's, Patty's smile.
0: Patty's smile. Okay. <laughs> and um.
2: And you know, like this guy Teddy Narosny, was just like.
0: Teddy Narosny? Yeah. Okay.
2: He was just like, "Hey, that's not even like a real smile. He's he he made the teeth bigger. Here's a here's a real." Girl, and mm-hmm. look at her smile for real, and it just like I couldn't continue with that one. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and, and I worked on it for like a good year. So just life. because
0: this guy Teddy said he criticized your work, then you were you were like done with that painting? Then
2: I know it sounds like I'm a wimp. I should have like taken no, care I of mean, business. Like, but...
0: Artists, they they tend to be a little bit more uh, emotionally sensitive, so I can completely understand yeah. how you know this would have affected you like that way. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I if I tangent really quickly to. Uh, some things from your early life, mm-hmm. you know, like when you were a child, um, uh, I read that you had a very, you know, uh, early natural gift for painting and that um, uh, your um, your father was a painter as well. But then when he saw, even at a, a young age, how good you were, he was like, oh, I'm giving up because I can never even be as good as my infant son is. Is there any truth to that story?
2: Yeah, it, it actually is. Um, it's quite touching. Like, um he he taught me how to paint and first he taught me with like one color. And then, then when you get good at blue you you go on to red and then mm-hmm. eventually you, you paint him with all the colors. Okay. And um yeah, but there came a day where he was just like, Wow, you're really good and I was like, Oh, it's all thanks to you, Dad and he was like, mm-hmm. I I can't I can't be a painter anymore. You're just too good. Hmm. And he he stopped painting. He turned around,
0: left, like left the family, mm-hmm. and
2: uh, I never saw him again.
0: Oh, really? That was the last time you ever saw your father. Yeah. Oh my
2: yeah, God. Yeah, that was the last time I saw him. And um, oh,
0: I I'm sorry. I didn't. I had no idea that it would have this kind of emotional oh, man, emotional like, scar for you.
2: It's tough because like the thing you love and a gift that God gives you, just destroys
0: you, your oh, family. Wow. Do you need, do you need a, a second? I need a second. Okay. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, um, this is Famous Dead People on Radio Free Brooklyn, and my guest today is a uh, Spanish painter, uh, iconic iconic artist, Pablo Picasso, um, who we, I'm just going to give some time to because he's having some I'm okay. He's no, having an Okay. Yeah. Uh, I had no idea. I mean, I know that there was some friction between you and your father because, you know, he would send you to all these expensive art schools and- and you, um, uh, you, you, you wanted to be immersed in your art, but that you just wouldn't go to class because you didn't like being taught. Like, like, did you have a problem with authority in general? Would you say? Well, yeah, because
2: these bozos, <laughs> I mean, like these bozos, are sitting there trying to tell you what to do, and you're mm. like beyond their level, mm, and yeah. it's just like it's like a kid telling you how to tie your shoe. Yeah, you know, it's like really, really, you're gonna tell me, uh, you know, over, over under. You know the whole looping thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going to tell me like, come on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I went to a couple of different schools, and I ended up at Oxford.
0: You went to Oxford,
2: <laughs> dude. Yeah, I totally went to Oxford.
0: Oh, I, I that's not even in your Wikipedia anywhere. That's incredible. What, yeah. uh, what were you studying at art? Were you, were you studying art at Oxford? Painting. You were studying painting at Oxford. Okay. And uh, did you have a similar experience there, where where you felt like you were better than all your teachers, so you felt like you didn't have to, you know, go to class or try or listen to what they were saying?
2: Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Oxford was really cool, um, and and teachers were pretty good. There was one teacher that that I really learned a lot from, mm-hmm. and um, is we called him Frenchie,
0: mm-hmm. Frenchie,
2: and he he showed me how to do like a proper ear. 'cause ears are very tough if you're yeah. painting there's no ears are so tough, you have the different like folds and the canal and all mm-hmm. that, and like you have, you do you have a couple bones in there which kind of protrude <laughs> sometimes, and it's very tough, and he bones told me in the ear, how, yeah told me to do like he told me he told me how to do an ear mm-hmm. and then
0: then I, he died I, are you oh my god? You're having another emotional moment, Pablo Picasso. Wow, I had no. See, this is just. uh, I I hope you don't you don't mind me saying so, but like here on famous dead people, we I I just have never had somebody had such a strong (laughs) emotional reaction to stories from their own past. So, you know, if you need a moment, like you know, I'll I'll, I'm good. I'll see what I can do. Uh, I'm good.
2: No, it just hit me hard because there was one guy I could really learn from, and I thought
0: Mm -hmm.
2: we have a long time together.
0: You and this uh, professor Frenchie, you call them.
2: Yeah, Frenchie. Wow, good old Frenchie. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, let's let's move on. I don't want to, uh, you know, I don't want to uh, continue to stoke these these fires of yours. Um, it's a problem with the
2: gift that you get from God. Mm-hmm. It it could be a blessing, and sometimes it just could destroy your whole life.
0: Mm-hmm. You feel like your artistic gift maybe is what contributed to this man Frenchie's death. I
2: think <laughs> because like. He was in perfect health before he showed me how to do... How know, to do ears. The, the ear bone. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, and right after that, I remember we spent 36 hours straight just doing one ear canal, like the one canal. Mm-hmm. And he was just so exhausted. But he didn't want to stop. He was like, you're so close. Picasso. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm. Forget it I mean Mm -hmm. It was so close And then He was just so exhausted He just dropped Wow And then Like I I I didn't know what to do I am just a kid At that point Mm -hmm. So I was like Help Somebody help Help And you know People were just Like standing But nobody did anything Mm. Nobody did anything Wow That's why Like i just like to say Like If you see something Going down Please help that person.
0: Yeah, help that person. If you see something say something. That's Pablo Picasso. Mm. Anyways, uh, moving on. Sorry. I don't want to uh, continue to make you cry here. No, that's cool. Um in the early 1900s, uh, sorry, in the year 1900, uh you move to Paris to uh and and you share to paint and you and you're sharing a room with a friend of yours named Max Jacob. And you guys are basically living like in extreme poverty, like sharing uh this one Tiny room together. Does that, uh, that this rings a bell? This, this, uh, this fate, this, this, this part of your life?
2: Yeah, totally. Me and, um, Jacob, like, we would, we would do, uh, um, we call them painter sandwiches. And, uh, painter sandwiches. You take, like, your hand and a piece of bologna, you put the bologna, like, with one stroke on top mm-hmm. of your hand, and you eat it out of your hand.
0: Uh, cause the- you couldn't afford bread. Is that, uh,
2: yeah, we couldn't afford bread. I mean, bread was cheap back then too, but we were just mm-hmm. so poor, mm-hmm. and um, so we just ate painter sandwiches all day because mm-hmm. you know we got the bologna from the deli next door's dumpster.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you you would like dumpster dive for food? Like you you were that poor.
2: You got it. You wow. got it. And um, but you know, Jacob was a cool man. He was like, oh, he was like, oh really love this one really love this painting
0: oh so he, he would he would talk about your paintings and he would say like <laughs> oh I, I love this one i love that one yeah
2: yeah it was a great time mm-hmm. Oh, we had so many cool parties like we had painter like all these cool painter parties people would come by like mm-hmm. it was just so much fun
0: yeah like other painters would come in
2: yeah we totally like they'd come in like drink some beer mhm like it was just a lot of a lot of good times, like people were just going crazy back then,
0: yeah, did you ever i mean like you say uh you, that you would have these painter parties and that they would be really fun yeah, um did you ever feel remorse for you know tearing down other painters because it seems like at least at this point of your 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 career you had some camaraderie with yep, other I mean, painters
2: y- yeah, totally now you 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 do feel bad for like a second, mm-hmm. but then when people are coming up to you like, oh you know you're the you're the best painter. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, you're the best painter, you're the greatest, and people are just like, Yeah, you're awesome, and, and giving you things like, Hey, you can have my kids if you want. Oh, wow, like, they would just
0: give you their kids,
2: like, yeah, they'd give you like chocolate, they'd give you like, um, some guy offered me his house, mm-hmm. some dude offered me their kids. I, I was like, Oh, no, you know, I can't take, but I love the you know, adulation, you mm-hmm. know, yeah, and uh, and uh, so. You kind of feel bad for ruining somebody's career, but, like, if they were really good, like, on a, on a really, like, top-notch level, mm-hmm. they could overcome it. So I I just thought to myself, like, yeah, you ruined his career, but he stunk anyways.
0: okay, yeah. So, you felt like maybe if you worked to destroy somebody else's career and they were really good, then they would rise above that. Yeah. But just, if not, then they were just terrible.
2: Totally just a bump on the road. That's okay. it. Okay, like, Interesting. Yeah, like I you know, I overcame Teddy Noir, I was saying that the smile wasn't right, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I still became the best.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, nobody can deny the influence that you've had in the art world. Yeah. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you about, you know, after you moved to Paris, you go to uh Madrid for a few months and you start a magazine uh with a friend of your with, a, with an anarchist friend of yours there. I just wanted to know like what was the uh what was the motivation there? Was like did you have a I don't know a, a strong political motivation, or were you just looking for other <laughs> other things to do, just in case art didn't pan out for you?
2: No, when I went to Spain with the uh, with the anarchist, mm-hmm. and uh, like you know, we just decided like we gotta we gotta make up a cool like magazine to wake people up. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: so we just called it No Fun. So you call it No there's No Fun Magazine,
2: right? Okay, No Fun Magazine. And, like, basically, we just, like, kind of showed all these, like, rich types over in Spain. Like, oh, yeah, you haven't, you think it's so much fun living a dream? <laughs> like, <laughs> dude, look at these, like, uh, people. Like, they're mowing somebody else's lawn because they don't even have their own lawn. Mm-hmm. And they're not even getting paid. They're not having fun. Like, yeah. we show, like, like. Uh, centerfolds of, like, people frowning, and, like, we just, like, (laughs) hand them out to all these rich Spanish Spaniards, you know, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, it would, like, some people would get on board and, like, actually, like, start giving to charity, Mm -hmm. and some people were would it would just ruin their day
0: interesting yeah. oh wow Did you feel like this uh, this magazine was effective at at maybe changing some minds like maybe some rich people were like oh uh, i'm I'm so ashamed of what i've done
2: i think so because at that time like some some people some Spaniards were like kind of like supporting me a little bit by giving me some money for my paintings mm-hmm. like because i needed like really cool paints yeah and i couldn't get them because i didn't have any like just didn't have any money yeah so um so, anyways, yeah, so like I remember this one dude, he he was like on his yacht. Like, we totally went in the water. And, you know, I took like a raft, and or basically it was just a tire. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of paddled over to him. And he was like, Oh, come on board, have some champagne. And we showed him, (laughs) we showed him like this poor, like emaciated puppy. You showed
0: him No Fun magazine.
2: Yeah. And and, like one of the articles I I wrote, it was about how no one would take in this poor puppy because he had um, one of those, you know, how the palate. Yeah, oh, a, like a, a cleft palate? Clef palate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The puppy had a cleft palate, so it oh looked really sad, and it was emaciated. No one would feed it because no one loves it. Mm-hmm. It, just, yeah. it wasn't cute, and um, and so the guy was like, "Oh," and he told he's like, "Oh, this just ruined my day." <laughs> <laughs> me and Jacob were, were like, "Oh yeah, cool."
0: Mm-hmm. Did you, did you ever find out what happened to that rich person whose who's day you ruined? I
2: heard, like, his whole company went down. He really? Was, he was so, like, distraught.
0: Depressed from this thing that you showed him. Wow, yeah. that is an incredible uh, anecdote. Uh, for those of you who are just joining us, this is uh, Famous Dead People, and I'm speaking here in the studio with uh, iconic artist Pablo Picasso, um uh now going back to uh, uh you know after Madrid obviously you go back to to France and you live all over France for for pretty much the rest of your career um and you have what i think could could um gently be described as a chaotic uh relationship with women like you you're you sort of like have you're in and out of these relationships you have mistresses you have affairs you have wives um do you feel like this was Maybe, maybe if you hadn't have been such a successful artist, like maybe you would have lived a more buttoned-down life. Like, does that seem? Does it does it seem like that kind of chaos was was uh, attached to your art?
2: No, I think I would have had like the same kind of like uh, personal life because, mm-hmm. like, I'm just kind of like kind of like ah kind of person, you know. I'm mm-hmm. like kind of out there, yeah. But like, um, it's kind of like you know how some people say, oh. Uh, if, if I didn't discover music, I'd be in jail or something like mm-hmm. that. nah, I'd be the same way, except I just want to be a painter, you know what mm-hmm. I mean, so yeah, it's like some of these girls were like some some of the girls were cool, some of them were crazy mm-hmm. like I had this one girl who um she had like this really wild like um deformed um like um what do you call it like nipples?
0: Like did she have like a like a third nipple or?
2: No, they were like really long, almost like really a pinky nipples. finger. You ooh, know? ooh, yeah. All right. So, but she was like totally cool. But like I couldn't deal with her because she just kept to- all she talked about was her her nipple, like mm. her bullet nipple. And so like, this
0: was a, a weird nipple that this woman had, and yeah. and also she wouldn't stop talking about it. Right.
2: It, mm. it, it was just all she talked about, and I was like trying to get around it. Like I was trying to say like. Well, you know, how's your day? Like, and do you like this painting? Like, is this? do you think this is good? Like, hey, what do you feel when you look at this mm-hmm. painting? And, like, she couldn't even talk about, like, mm-hmm. her favorite color or, or, like, different style painting. Like, she doesn't even like, like, Cezanne. Like, give me a break. Who mm-hmm. doesn't like Cezanne? So I was just like, all right. She had to go.
0: At what point in your career was this? Because I'm wondering if, like, maybe... Uh, maybe you had ever painted her, or maybe she, like like her influence was ever seen in any of your later works.
2: Yeah, it it was actually in the um in my painting called La Boca Mucha.
0: La Boca Mucha. Okay.
2: Yeah, La Boca Mucha. I have like this tower, and it's kind of like um a pinky shaped tower. Hmm. And it it's pretty much a, a homage to to her nipple. Hmm. Interesting. Um. Yeah, because I just I didn't want. To go through, like, if I was going to get famous, which I kind of felt like I was going to. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want her to call me up out of the blue one day going, hey, you, you crazy son of a gun. You never you never painted me. You never did this to me. And, like, her, like, single white female in me. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, attacking me or something. I was a little nervous about her. Mm-hmm. But, like, so, yeah, some of the other girls are cool. Like, I almost had a threesome one time.
0: You so Pablo Picasso? You're saying here on on my radio show that you almost had a threesome at one point in your life.
2: Yeah. Okay. I mean, it, the girl, the look, the one girl was cute, and the other girl was kind of chunky, but like, it, it counts. It counts. <laughs> but it didn't happen though. But it was so close, man. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't close the deal. The one girl, all of a sudden, she's about to take off the top, and she gets all like embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Couldn't close it.
0: Oh, that's okay. You know, um, uh, it, it, if it's all right with you, I'd like to go back to some of your more artistic uh, endeavors. Yeah. Because um, you were a very prolific artist. I was surprised by how many how many different phases uh, that your art went through. And uh, just for my audience who might not be familiar, I'd like to go through a couple of your phases and just just let me know like what how you would describe these phases to people. Okay. Yeah. So there was your blue period.
2: Oh yeah, that's that's like. I wanted to show how good I was by using just one color.
0: Okay, so everything was just blue. That was it.
2: Just blue. And not even, like, different shades of blue because I felt like that's cheating. Mm-hmm. No, it was just all the same royal blue. Okay. And I just would paint, like, anything and everything. And the problem with that phase I found out was, like, after you paint, like, 100, 100 of them, you start realizing, like, it's very hard to, to show depth. When everything looks
0: like the same color blue, mm, interesting, yeah. Um, and then also after that was your rose period.
2: Oh yeah, that's when like everything was like um, like a happy, happy paintings. Like, mm-hmm. and I would write like coming up roses.
0: <laughs> um, so you you would put words in your paintings.
2: Yeah, on uh, the upper right mm-hmm. corner, coming up roses. Like, <laughs> and everyone was happy, like a dog being fed. Mm-hmm. Um, there was one of a, of a baby crawl into its mom. There was another one of like kids like playing mm-hmm. catch and mm-hmm. like being
0: happy. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Um, and there was also uh, you had a period of cubism. Would you mind describing that as well?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like you know that game Cubert.
0: Oh, the game Cubert.
2: Yeah, it yeah. it's pretty much like it was pretty much. The game Cuber but it wasn't a video game. It was like a, the game Cuber on canvas.
0: Oh, so like you would paint what it would look like to play a game of Cuber. Like it would be like a bunch of different paintings that were one game?
2: Yeah, like I didn't even realize I was that ha- ahead of my time mm-hmm. because like I didn't even know about this game Qbert. I mean, I came out before that, so I came out with the idea of Cuber. Before mm-hmm. it came out, oh wow! So I really should have made money off of off of that.
0: Yeah, you could have been even more wealthy.
2: I, I should have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very upsetting to know that you, your gifts are just
0: yeah, just being uh being given away to these poor people. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it seems like you you made a transition at one point in your career from caring about uh you know poor people, being a bohemian, living in living in poverty. Your your magazine, No Fun magazine, showing pictures of of uh sad puppies with cliff pallets to to rich people to bum out their days but then now it seems like like that's the lifestyle that you're uh that you're drawn to is this um you know uh extravagant uh lifestyle like like you're saying you've been saying a couple times in this interview that you wish that you had been richer like like don't you have any of that empathy for when you were a poor person
2: I mean you, you evolve as a, as a, a human being like mm, yeah. you know no one's uh no one's like talking about how the much they miss dinosaurs cuz you evolve, you know? <laughs> you don't you don't care about like when you back when when we were cavemen, mm-hmm, right? Cuz mm-hmm. you don't go about dressing with a loincloth and like beating tigers at the zoo with a club cuz you evolve. So the same thing with me. Like, yeah, I was poor, but what do you want me to do? Stay poor for the rest of my life and eat painted sandwiches all day?
0: No, no, I completely understand. I want
2: that. I want to be rich. I want to like use my money to party and like buy stuff mm-hmm, and yeah. maybe you know it'd be it would have been really cool to have my own reality show mm-hmm. um just showing like like um hey you know it's not all like super cool and and exotic and erotic being a painter mm, but it would have had a happy ending it would have been like mm-hmm. you know you would have saw me becoming Pablo Picasso. Oh, yeah. In fact, I should have, I would have called
0: it that. Becoming Becom- Pablo Picasso. Oh, that's interesting. right. Yeah. Do you think like that's what you would be working on now if you were alive? Because you were so prolific and your art was always changing and evolving. If you were active today, yeah. Do you think that you would be working in, as you said earlier, like the reality television medium, or other projects that you maybe uh, would be putting your efforts towards?
2: Yeah, I'd be doing a few different things. I'd mm-hmm. definitely be doing like movies because you make a lot of money mm-hmm. doing movies. Even like horror movies, you you get money on. Mm-hmm. You know?
0: Did you have an idea for a horror movie that you maybe would want to do?
2: Oh yeah, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. It was um, basically like whenever it would be filmed, all filmed in one house,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and like whenever you see people having
0: sex, they get
2: they get totally killed. <laughs>
0: Interesting. I mean, people, some people would say that that's been done before by, like, almost every other horror movie that's ever been done. I
2: know, I know. Dude, I know. But you know what? The difference is, dude, the difference is uh, I would stab him with a paintbrush.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
2: <laughs> it would be good. So, so dude, imagine this. It'd be all, you can just give me a great idea. It'd be all reality-based. <laughs> Interesting, interesting. Can you imagine? So so that is
0: Pablo Picasso saying that if he were alive today, he would make horror movies (laughs) that are... Just like every other horror movie, but instead of a knife, he stabbed you with a paintbrush. That is fascinating. But it would be reality, so I would actually be stabbing people. Oh, oh, so you would actually be killing people? (laughs) That is horrific, and I'm kind of glad we're wrapping it up. Uh, Well, that is it for this week's episode of Famous Dead People. I'd like to thank my guest, uh, Mr. Pablo Picasso, for uh, joining us in the studio today. Uh, And I have one final question. Like, is there—I don't know. This this might sound like a weird question, Mr. Picasso, but— you know, you wouldn't happen to have any like uh, a Twitter account or any any famous, uh, you know, comedy shows or anything that you would want to tell people about, would you?
2: Yeah, man, you got to follow uh, my buddy, uh, George Fernandez on Twitter and Instagram and, and everything. He's, he's at real G Fernandez on everything. And also he's got a comedy show on Sunday, April 2nd at 730 at the Greenwich Village Comedy Club. It's called the High and Dry Show. Tickets $10, but if you get them early, um, just uh, go to the Greenwich Village Comedy Club website and go to the High and Dry Show and um, use promo code DISCOUNT. You get them for half-priced.
0: Oh, half-priced, take it's not bad. Uh, if you have any questions that you'd like to ask your favorite dead person, please email that to us at famousdeadpeopleshow at gmail.com. We'll try to have them on as soon as we can. We're here every Monday at 3 p.m. on Radio Free Brooklyn. Thank you so much for listening, famous and we'll see you next week. People, famous dead people, famous dead people, famous dead people.